Welcome to Saha Says, where we discuss headlines and happenings from around the internet. Then we sprinkle in the comments of the San Antonio Hacker Association. Joining us tonight on the program is Pinky, the team captain for UTSA's CCDC team, Cooper, a biohacker, a news curator for this and other podcasts, and the foundcaster for the dangerous, excuse me, the founder of the Dangerous Minds podcast. I am Sciatic Nerd, B-Sides SATX coordinator and podcast manager for this and security endeavors. We would like to thank our new sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. And if you or your organization would like to sponsor the efforts of Saha or Saha Says or programs like it, please reach out to us at SATX Hackers on Twitter, and we would like to have that conversation with you. Now, if you're interested in figuring out more of what you can do to connect with Saha, please, again, reach out to us on Twitter, but use the hashtag SATXHackers. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to get started this week talking about a story uh, going to actually hack Google Android. So, you know, it's not a new thing to hear about Android getting hacked here or there, but the hackernews.com has a headline this week that talks about over a million Google accounts were hacked by Gooligan Android malware. So basically, if you've got a phone, just be aware that this new malware has already breached over a million devices affecting and is infecting around 13,000 devices every day. Now, this article from the Hacker News says it's been dubbed Gooligan, and the malware roots vulnerable Android devices to steal email addresses and authentication tokens stored on them. I'm curious, um, Coop and Pinky, are you both using Android devices, or is it just is it just Coop who's got one? I'm using Android, and I am actually safe from this because I don't have anything that's running... Android 5 or lower, thank God. Ah. Knock on wood for the audience. If you do have Android 5, I'm sorry, maybe you should port to Cyanogen and see if you can get past 5.1 or at least at 5.1 in order to have a patch for this hole that Boolean is taking advantage of. I actually just updated my last device that was running uh, pre or five or below um, this morning and got it on Cynogen. So Nexus Seven, you are a part of the family once again, oh, and nice. no longer a breach waiting to happen. So oddly enough, uh, this is an excellent point. I'll come at you and say, but Coop, I don't have a Google-produced Android device. I've got. From my carrier, I bought a device from them. It was the Gimme phone, or it was what I could afford at the time. Or I really like this device that was made by not Google. So what am I supposed to do? And Coop, I think you already just clued us in. You're going to have to get CyanogenMod or whatever other flavor of custom build, which means now you're just not part directly of the Google source Family, you're using that same source, but you're not going to pull your updates from them now. You're going to have to rely on a community-driven distribution. Is that right? Well, mostly anything that's not a part of the Nexus line or now Pixel line as uh, Google renamed Nexus. I guess they weren't a fan of uh, uh, Harrison Ford movies from the 80s, possibly. You know, Blade Runner, as it were. But to be honest, it uh, most... Android devices never got updates. That's why it's just kind of terrifying to you know be an Android lover, open source lover, not locked down like uh, iOS. Though I will say the 
best thing they got going for them is they actually do updates. Uh, well, uh, but really often they get direct updates. The Windows phone got direct updates. It still does, to my understanding. Um, Pinky, do you find that you hear about malware very often on iOS? I'm going to give you your equal time here. Um, I, I think a bit more recently, we've heard a little bit more like there is that glitch with apparently similar to Android, you know, malicious JPEG or PDF could cause a problem, but Apple patched it within that week it was announced. So that's where it comes to the big, what the biggest security wise differences. One actually cares about you. One's like, hey, open source, go fix it yourself. Nice. Well, just to, just in case, uh, there is a way from this article that describes Checkpoint has published an online tool to check if your device has been infected with the Goolian or Gooligan malware. Uh, just open a Gooligan checker and check your email address to find out if your account has been hacked. So that's actually a very interesting thing there. They're actually telling you uh, from Google's director of Android security, they recommend that you run a clean install of the operating system to wipe out the issue. Uh, the process is called flashing, so on and so forth. So with that in mind, uh, it's just one of those one further reason that, you know, update your stuff, folks. And if you can't update your stuff, it presents a problem. This is why it's very difficult to use and trust. It's, oh, look, I, I love this phone from not Google. Uh, I guess I'm kind of up the creek. But anyway, that's that's just me. Because, uh, you know, some malware, uh, you know, it's like putting your device in prison. And sometimes things get released from prison, don't they, Coop? Indeed. And sometimes very surprisingly, too. And yes, uh, our unofficial sponsor, thehackernews.com, <laughs> yet once again has another juicy article for us. Um, because, well, they, they cover what we want to hear often enough. And it looks like uh, anonymous hacktivist Barrett Brown has finally been released from prison. Now, Barrett Brown, if you remember, he's a journalist formerly served as an unofficial spokesman for the hacktivist collective known as Anonymous. Finally walked free from prison on Tuesday morning after serving more than four years behind bars. Now, the Dallas-born investigative journalist was arrested in 2012 from his home while he was in the middle of an online chat after posting tweets and YouTube videos threatening revenge against the FBI, an FBI agent. Brown, now 35, initially attracted the law enforcement attention in 2011 when he started a hyperlink to an IRC channel where anonymous members were disturbing, disturbing, yeah. distributing, sorry, if I can actually speak English, stolen information from uh, a hack at security think tank strategic forecasting at or Stratfor. Yeah. Interesting. So when when so this person actually was facing a sentence to a lot of time in jail, and, and somehow do you think this was one of those situations where we're basically going to throw the entire forget the book we're throwing an entire library at this human to just say look uh, this is going to be so heavy no one's going to want to try this again. I mean, do you think that's what it is? Kind of an Ender's Game approach, Pinky? Uh, do you think that kind of stuff is? Uh, going to work and intimidate folks to avoid this kind of retribution? I do think that's probably their intent. Do I think it's going to work? No. I mean, it's only one person. Think about pirating. You heard about the occasional one or two people who actually got invent or, you know, convicted. And I was like, oh, crap, you know. Hope that doesn't mean as they start making them more and more happen. 
then it'll become more effective till then. No. Simple as that. Uh, I'm just waiting to see when uh, he's going to get a ghostwriter to put out a book and then later a movie about his ordeal and dealing with the government. After all, you know, didn't Snowden have a book and a movie already? Um, two. Actually, two or three persecuted yeah. need a book and a movie. Yeah, Schmuck and a Pancake. Yeah, he's they've already got multiple outlets for uh, Snowden has already had his his day in the public media, I think, once or twice at this point. Uh, and love, you know, love or hate what happened. Uh, this person is definitely getting some some airplay, so to speak. Uh, but I, I'm not so sure that that's what we should be. Uh, we, we always do that, right? We like to pursue these things and and bring in and put it in the public eye. But I don't know that we really want to learn what truly happened. I think we're more interested in in how it plays uh, in just from a media standpoint. Anyway, uh, I'm curious to know about actual. Uh, uh, fitness earbuds. I don't know what a fitness earbud is, except I'm fitting this in my ear. I'm, I don't know. Oh, yeah, sad. That, that's bad. I'm sorry. That's bad. That's bad. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, no, no. Too. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, from Ars Technica, there is an article reviewing, I guess, about four so fitness here, but our earbuds. Um, I'm you know Apple Watch on my wrist right now. You know, a lot of those are getting into the more fitnessy aspects, you know, Pebble, whatnot, whatever your choice is, you know, for your fitness um, wristwear. It's a bit more popular. They argue than the whole old school, you know, heart rate tracker via the chest straps, which is the most accurate method, I believe, you know, for just home use other than a blood pressure checker. You know, for your fitness aspects, the chest one's, you know, accurate, but pain in the ass to wear. Um so that's why the wrist ones took off because, you know, you just wear like a watch. They might offer additional features. I'm like, that's great. But now they're trying to use earbuds to inc- increase the accuracy because, you know, if this is on too loose, too tight, it's inaccurate as all hell. Um, yeah. yeah. Actually, so- I found that with another fitness band as well, that there's uh, if you if you wear the device too tight, it doesn't seem to read so accurately. Is, is that and true then- with all of them? Um, it's all of them because how they all work is basically the whole light aspect on the bottom is how they measure it. So if you have a two-time block partially, I think the light aspect of it, then it does. So the whole aspect of the earbud one is supposed to operate the same way that the doctors do when they do the heart rate checker over your finger. Um, it's supposed to operate that same way. So they reviewed four or five of these new earbud ones. And they pretty much say you're going to have to spend over $200 just for these earbuds. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, they probably offer, you know, typical earbud functionality along with this heart rate monitoring, and that's it. So they say, pass for now, you know, because for that much you get, you know, a Garmin device that can do your heart rate map monitoring routes with GPS. Say with TomTom, not much more. You could probably get an Apple Watch, things like that. So it's not really worth the pricing yet. Oh, it's so, kind of cool. And they're hoping next year they'll iron out all the kinks. Apparently, these are having some accuracy problems as well. Mm. So it's just a typical, not quite time yet. Well, so I like how the the article from ours has uh, a spec uh, specs compared, and they kind of show off that there are these different things that they work on. Uh, now, the funny thing is that the in their little table there, it shows that the Samsung Gear Icon X. Uh, actually has built-in music storage, like four gigs, but it only works on Android. 
all that, and it only works on one platform? I was uh, surprised. I mean, that's something like, nah, 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 boo, boo. I'm not going to work with you, Apple. Right. And that's it's like I feel Apple would only work with Apple. It's just, you know, a little. Huh. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just not sure about the longevity of anything that doesn't work across both sides of the, the line there. Uh, of course, the brand new Amiga phone, which I'm sure will be coming out any day now, will will support it, I'm sure. Um, and I'm going to keep spamming that button until one day it's true. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not. Well, didn't they come out with a Commodore 64 smart uh, smartphone at one point? Now you're going to make me Google because I swear yeah. I remember a smartphone that was a Commodore. Look, I was just well, blown. We had Slack, you know, this week came out Commodore 64. Yes, yes, that actually made me laugh that earlier this week we found that there was an article on a 64, a C64 edition of Slack client. And then since Coop poked at me, I said, oh, sure. Well, he said, well, what about IRC? And yes, by all means, there is an IRC client for the C64. So for all of you still hanging on, having your 1702 monitor and your 1541A disk drive, we can help you to get back online. I'm not sure where you got the Ethernet interface, but thank you for building it. Um, and then next you're going to tell me that you have a 16550 UART that's driving your, uh, I don't know, what, your 5300 baud, 5, baud modem, uh, that, that, that blazing, blinding speed. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I digress. Uh, let's go back to talking to uh, talking to our devices. Uh, Coop, what about some Android Auto fun? Isn't there anything interesting going on there? Well, I think it might lead to some more vulnerabilities indeed, especially since we just barely got talking about uh, if you had anything five or below. It just makes me wonder, do you ever get updates for your microwave, your fridge? How about your car? Well, think about that, actually, you know, like with sync and stuff. You have to go to the dealer. And who likes going to the dealer? No. No. that That's just crazy. No, actually, you know what? I actually don't mind going to the dealer. Usually the dealer, they, they at least as long as I've made my, my car payment, they're not terrible about that. Dear Lord, I don't mean to interrupt your story, but you were right. The Commodore smartphone. Yep. Commodore oh. pet phone. What? In- I, oh my I googled God. it, and it's like uh, it was on Wired. Yes, if you go to wired.com forward slash 2015 forward slash 07 forward slash Commodore dash smartphone forward slash. It's actually then the- you can look along with us and see Commodore is back, baby, with the smartphone. But but my brain, a classic arcade in your hand, says the article from Wired. Oh my gosh, it actually, it's real. It happened. I'm so sorry. I'm completely squirreling here. Uh, so, yeah, and it was around 300 bucks for a 16 gigabyte version and uh, with two gig of RAM. And let's see, 32 gig of RAM, uh, 32 gig of internal memory with three gig of RAM for slightly more. And it doesn't share the price. Oh, there even, uh, it can even have a, you know, a slot for a 64 gigabyte memory card. I'm headed over to, to my favorite online store to see if I can actually obtain one of these. Craigslist? eBay? eBay. I, I'm going to look to see if I can find a Commodore pet phone. Yeah, that's what I was actually kind of already doing. <laughs> I was curious to see if somebody had bought it and was like, nope, I want to sell it because they never update it, you bastards. Oh, no. Wait, there's a release date. CNET actually had... Oh, that's not fair. Hope you didn't buy the Commodore smartphone from pocketnow.com. Why? 
they said they have it's taken not- plenty of money but shipped zero phones. What? And it's actually just running Android. It's it's really just what? yep. It's vaporware. Sorry. As of October 13th of last year, at least one person is reporting having received the phone on their Facebook page, yet the company has not responded. I'm confused. It The article says no one received it, but then the article says that it actually hasn't shown up. Uh, the device itself isn't entirely vaporware. The videos linked above attest to the fact that it exists. There was a prototype version uh, as early as July of last year, but that kicked off the press frenzy, and now we have... Okay, but that's uh, no blah 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 blah. So, okay, so it doesn't actually say what happened to the silly phone. Damn it! That's not- I would buy it just to have it. Who wouldn't? Yeah. So actually, I've got the Clonato. Have you ever heard of uh, C L O N A T O? They make the C sixty four Forever and Amiga Forever emulators. And nice. I, I, I have given them their money every year to keep to stay alive because I'm like, please. Keep my poor dead machine in my memory, at least loaded in memory. And they, they, they've been diligently doing it, actually. It's fantastic. Um, but that's not what this is supposed to be about, yet I can't help myself uh, from... Um, who can? Who, whoever in, is listening that's not hasn't had a Commodore 64, whether it be back in 1984, uh, like sure that was when i got mine or was oh, yeah. it 85 i don't know but um even my wife which you know was a lot more recent than me uh had one herself and and so i i still at this point yeah so actually there is still a c64 forever uh product which is there it is Yep, and that is also by the same folks, Clonado, uh, the same ones who do Amiga Forever, and it actually is Windows 10 compatible. So it's 15 bucks, and you can relive your glory days as a computer jock with that old keyboard and that port 2 joystick that you fried the port for. It's all here, people, uh, and oh it runs in a window. It's amazing. Okay, I'm going to stop now. So you are actually talking about uh, the risks of OK Google coming to Android Auto, and we're, you are actually diligently trying to do what we're supposed to be doing here. So let's go back for a second. Shiny. <laughs> Shiny. So what we're, we're actually supposed to press stop on the nerd nerding out and then rewind back to the story now? Yeah. Oh, come on. Um, can well, you just imagine if you had a car in your car? Well, what, what can we do after the big letdown of the pet phone? Yes. Uh, well, cry about uh android in the car no it's not a it doesn't have the what is it autopilot feature like a tesla no it's uh describing it to be similar to um this ford sync but android based oh no we don't need that but that's interesting because if okay google support yes sorry for everyone i just activated your device and stopped the podcast sorry uh so for support actually showing up in the app not the android auto app so if you're driving it supposedly will will show you that it works in google maps and in in the auto but you have to turn on android auto wait that's confusing yeah that's what i thought um the check yeah. This leads me to a question for the rest of you. What would you rather have for vo- voice control in your car? Uh, Siri, okay, Google, 
whatever the you know per personality's name might be um whatever her name is from uh, Alexa. windows no cortana. oh, oh cortana. No, cortana cortana no yeah, i want cortana, cortana. and uh, then uh, alexa you know put a hockey puck in your cup holder <laughs> now what would you have alexa play dangerous minds podcast <laughs> and so now that it just changed for at least two people who are, might be our listeners oh, so guys side note with alexa yeah. it reminded me how we talked about last week with ways and the grand tour oh yeah I did it and it's amazing <laughs> Shiny. Yes, uh, i enjoyed that too i actually turned on the sound for ways yes for that normally and it has it's not disappointed off. me oh gosh Wait, what has disappointed hearing James May saying, Warning, there's a hazard up ahead. Yes. Yes, and like when the cops are there and Clark says, like, make sure both of your hands are on the wheel and pay special attention. Yes. See, I, I like the fact that it's their brand of shenanigans that I'm listening to as I drive and try to find my way. But if I'm actually given the option of which interactive voice system so far, my favorite has been Cortana. Uh I've used three or four different interactive voice systems. And the one that I found that actually has been the most interactive and been able to do the most, for example, on a Windows phone, I was able to have Cortana read my text message and ask if I would like to reply a year before Siri was able to do something similar. Cortana will actually notify you that you have received a text message and asks if, it would, if you would like it to be read to you, and then asks if you'd like to reply or add more. That interaction alone, I was completely thrilled with. It allowed me to have a complete conversation by text as long as I kept the, ling the language pretty simple. Uh, I could actually communicate with someone, conversate, you know? I mean, you're having a conversation while you're driving. Hands have never left the wheel, and you're just answering te uh, voice prompts. To me, that seemed worth it. What, what, what about you, Pinky? What would you prefer? Um, I haven't played with them that much. I have played with Siri in my car because, well, I do not have CarPlay in my car. I do have a feature where basically if I hold down, I forget which button, I think it's like the call button, it actually activates Siri on my phone. And from there, I can text and whatnot, you know. My car will actually read the messages. I just can't respond. You can't? So for me, yeah, it's weird. Um, I have a Toyota Corolla 2016. And, like, okay. Android, it doesn't read at all, apparently, or only certain yeah. models it does. It's supposed to let you respond with iPhones and Androids, but it doesn't. Everyone just says it's, you know, Toyota's not playing with the API correctly, which is causing the problem. So I can read the messages, you know, the car can read it, and then I can activate Siri, you know, just by holding it down. Read off the messages, or reply. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it works good enough, and Siri understands me 70% of the time. <laughs> As yeah. much as you can help with these things, honestly, with the noise of the car and everything. Yeah. Uh, so what about you, Coop? Which, which did you like? Uh, yeah. I, okay, Google was pretty boring. Uh, I've never really enjoyed it much. Cortana, I've tried on uh, Microsoft uh, Mobile, and I thought it was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, I did try the beta version of it when it was ported to uh, Android originally, but I haven't done it in a while. It makes me wonder if they've improved it because it was basically as bad as OK Google for the most part, just had a much more pleasant voice. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, Siri, 
Siri has a much more pleasant voice, but um, she doesn't really get jokes very well. Uh, I think she's lost uh, her sense of humor or lost that love and feeling. Oh, oh that love and feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. Back to the 80s. <laughs> that, to whoa, the 80s. that love and feeling. Anyway, so the the, the actual the issue. He says. That, that, well, yeah, right? Uh, I think that Siri started out and shocked everybody because someone was doing something. I think, okay, Google, the original version was so, it just did not seem to function well for me. It, originally, I think it just started out as being able to get to your phone directory. Uh, that's what I thought anyway. And it was, oh, so I can use voice dialing. Great. And so Google was first to the line with that. But then as we've moved on, I thought Microsoft did a very admirable job tying everything together and being able to jump app to app even on the Windows phone. Because two and a half to three years ago, I could do all these things with a an, a really old Windows phone. Like a, 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 I think it was a Windows phone 7.1 was capable of doing the basics. It was Windows phone 8 that first got it. And that was amazing. It really came into its own on the uh, the Nokia 920 series right around that time, which is, again, about three and a half, four years ago at this point. Well, that's when, you know, Windows really took off for a while and then it just never caught on. Yeah, it was the app space. That was the problem that people didn't want to relearn what they should get. We all get complacent. That's why XP is still around on machines. We learned one thing and we don't want to relearn. We get stuck in some kind of bizarro rut, and we just don't seem to pick back up and move on. Experientially, that's what seems to happen, and that's what, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that, experienced it. I mean, you are the people that I normally look to for saying, okay, so what are you playing with this week? And, and Coop's like, oh, I was trying this other thing. And, and Pinky's like, oh, well, we're working on how to build stuff from bare bones and figure out things. But when it comes down to it, you know, it's very easy to forget that a lot of other people simply don't do that. They don't welcome the change. They don't welcome the challenge. Even when you talk about how, uh, Pinky, you and FreeBSD had challenged a classroom of, of students to say, okay, you don't get the normal helper tools. I seem to recall us having that conversation, right? Where it was, we want you to build from, from the ground up without your helper stuff. How would you do it? What would you have to do? And I thought that was such a, a really fitting challenge for the competition you were working on. But very difficult from the point of view of, oh, please don't take away my safety net. I, I like my safety net, right? So it, to me, it was an interesting challenge, but you have to want the challenges, I guess, what I'm getting at. And is that what you've seen, Cooper? Yeah, it it definitely seems like uh, a lot of a lot of people don't really um, do a lot to really stretch themselves and learn uh, often enough if they're not really pushed for a reason to do it. I don't, I don't know why. Um, to be honest, it's, I think it's just fun and, you know, so be it. Yeah. You know, maybe something's broken inside those of us that enjoy doing things a hard way and trying to do something different instead of, Oh yeah, that's out of date. I'm just going to throw it on the shelf and let it collect dust along with the other crap on the shelf. You know, but, honestly, Oh, sorry. Finish. Uh, I was going to say, but houses aren't build, uh, built just to store our crap in mass. I, they should be more than just a storage place, I think. And instead of just accumulating crap just to store it, why not use it? Do something with it. If you can't, 
give it to, you know, donate it, give it to people that need it. Let them do something with it. You know, why, why, do, why do we just throw everything on a shelf and forget about it? I don't get it. Because we, we like our things, or at least in this. So a lot of people aren't wired this way, but I know a lot of folks who are right. So folks definitely beyond our borders are less, well, maybe not everybody. I'm just saying that there are those of us who are more, um, stuff oriented, I think. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, Quarters, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Quarters? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't resemble that remark at all. Okay, maybe I do a lot. But then let me look over your shoulder. Yeah, really exactly. Quick. Wait a minute. No, don't don't look over my shoulder. Don't. The um don't look behind that curtain. There there's a reality that that says that, you know, there are all these things you can play with as far as tinkering, as far as learning. Uh, oh, here's an old gadget someone else really couldn't make work. Could you make it work? And that's the entire point. And that actually, I think, fosters a conversation. And it turns out that's what we really have in this life is our ability to communicate. That's one of the biggest things we have. And speaking of communication, I was hoping Coop could tell us a little bit about the DDoS army on the horizon, um, which is kind of scaring me. Well, it shouldn't scare you too much because, after all, it's not on the hackernewsnetwork.com. <laughs> actually, we have a story from another website called arstechnica.com. Yes, our other fun source of most of our news. Um, it, the title of this one is, There's a New DDoS Army, and it could soon rival record-setting Mariah. For more than a week, someone has waged massive attacks on a daily basis. Really? Uh, I might have to, you know, read that title uh, headline a, l- a little bit more because I don't remember seeing anything really in the news about anything other than something that happened in Germany recently. Well, I Not think maybe they didn't have a detection. Happened. I don't think they detected it quite so much. Maybe. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, sorry. Go uh-huh. ahead. It's it's talking about, you know, for three months, IoT botnets built on software called Mariah have been a driving force behind a new breed of attacks. So powerful, they threaten the Internet as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Now a new botnet is emerging that could soon magnify or even rival that threat. So as the unnamed botnet, because, yes, journalists haven't come up with a catchy name for it yet was first detected on November 23rd, the day before the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. For about exactly 8.5 hours, it delivered a nonstop stream of junk traffic to undisclosed targets, according to uh, this post published Friday by contact network Cloudflare. And every day, the next six days, roughly about the same time, hmm, automation maybe? Maybe. The same network pumped out almost identical barrage of attacks, which is aimed at a small number of targets, mostly on the U.S. West Coast. Mm. California exit? What? Well, I wonder, More though. Recently, the attacks have run for 24 hours at a time. So it's probably not the Russians. I think it's the Republicans. What do you think? Oh, really? You had to go there? Hey, it's attacking California, you know, <sighs> instead of Brexit, we got Cal exit. You know, I think they're trying to shut down their internet so they can't get their shit together. Well, if look, 
So, so I'm I'm pretty sure this actually. So, if the first one was using webcams, this one's using just internet connected baby monitors. I think this one's probably using. Uh, next time, it's going to be with all of the internet connected sex toys. So that way, uh, it'll be on Buzzfeed. Get it? I don't no. know why. I don't know. Sorry. I apologize wow. to everyone who actually heard that. Um, what, the the two listeners that we had. Uh, well, yeah, that's you. Or should and we Paige. now say the one that we have? Hey, now. Wait, which one of us isn't listening? Uh, I'm, I'm listening. Not. Oh, stop it. <laughs> we only tune in when we want to. That's why. Don't worry. I just unsubscribed. Oh, gosh. That oh! After that joke, I had to unsubscribe. Oh, oh, that was too far. No, the other things that you guys do on webcam. No, that's not too far, but my bed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Terrific. So I'm concerned that there's a new DDoS army that's, but aren't we going to see this stuff every week? Honestly, this is going to be new, a new facet every week until we can lock down some of this stuff. And I don't know that we're going to lock this stuff down. It's just going to keep happening. There is no way to too stop much it. for manufacturers to do it, or they're just too damn lazy. Who knows? So do we need to host a very short class, like one minute a week? Yes, that's I said one minute a week uh, per episode that actually says, okay, here's what you're going to need to do if you want to lock down your home network and feel safe running IoT. Number one, learn about VLANs. Number two, take up, I, I don't know, I mean, something. There's got to be something. <laughs> wow, chat room. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Um, sorry, I I just sent my my poor recorder into clip mode. Okay. Uh, anyway, the, the the risk is is real. So how do we challenge ourselves to take a step uh, towards convincing manufacturers that we need embedded security, something that can help us create that line in the sand? Because we've we've really relied on. The, the internet firewall, our little, you know, NAT firewalls forever, right? Just the ability to not use, to use an internal home network, uh, that doesn't map to the real world. But now we want to be able to connect to those things in our homes and we don't have an adequate solution to protect them. So there has to be a change in how we build this stuff, I would imagine. Uh, what would, what would you say there, Pinky? Are, are you, are you for the revolution of internet things? I think the whole DDoS thing is something that everyone just wants to, you know, hide under the bed, you know, brush under the carpet, whatever. We don't want to deal with it because it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to deal with. I mean, with IoT, sure, you can VLAN things and whatnot. One, for the love of God, can you imagine actually having to teach people VLANs? Well, no, I mean, make a series of videos that explain the basics in a way that's digestible. Not all switches at home, if they even have a switch. Oh, my God. Um, If they don't even have a switch, how are you going to VLAN it? Buy an old switch that allows you to split things up. Make sure the switch allows it, because some of the cheapest ones don't. No, so TP-Link, 20 bucks. Not all TP-Links do. Oh, well, no, that's why you replace the OS on it. The first thing you do out of the box is replace the (laughs) OS. Oh, yeah, so lesson 101 for grandma, how to replace the OS on your Switch. The day that your grandma calls you and says, honey, I've gone ahead and changed the firmware. I was just stuck on which VLAN ports to open. And you'll say, wait, grandma, that's not how that works. But wow, go grandma. What are you doing, grandma? So, I mean, I think it's a beautiful concept. Do I think it's actually going to work? No. Yeah. Can we get people to use secure passwords? No. No. 
So can you imagine getting people to do VLANs? No. Can we even get people to go change the password on their modem? People no, it's and hide the SSD. Yeah. SSID. Yeah, that too. Change the radius on their Wi-Fi broadcasting. Oh, come on. That's asking a lot. Those interfaces do not make that make sense. Are you poking at me? No, I'm poking at Pinky that can attack uh, or attach <laughs> to her Wi-Fi from her leasing office. So w- what's the address of your apartment complex? Wait again? a minute. Wait a minute. Are, are you using a cantenna? Six, six, six in the hell, you know. <laughs> That's supposed to be in the hood, not in the, anyway. So um, maybe you can tell us about some horrible rumors, Pinky. I was very How curious to hear about this. this. Celebratory. Celebratory. Oh, that's because you love Arch so much. You're you were you were delighting and dancing on the corpse. That is. Look, no one loves Solaris. And oh. as you might have been able to guess, OSNews.com has provided a rumor. I've been going around for a few weeks now that Oracle's apparently going to be ending all development on Solaris, effectively killing the operating system. So apparently, there's going to be no Solaris 12. The final release will be 11.4, and that's it. That's all you can find online. They're kind of keeping it on the down low. And honestly, I'm not surprised. It kind of feels like anything Oracle gets, it dies. So, that, you know, if Oracle buys something, it's dead. Why? Because look at it. ZFS was finally, you know, about to get super popular. Then Oracle got it and it died. Hmm. Oracle gets Solaris. Now it's dying. No one really loves Solaris anyway. Well, sun, that was a Sun operating system going back. What was that? Um, 20 years? 30 years? Yeah, and then what else? Oh, yeah, and then like Oracle got Java, didn't it? And that's been going even worse if that was even possible. <laughs> Java was I mean, a Sun product. Like daily. It's like, guys, just stop it. Well, for the sake of mention, uh, I, I, I got a little piece of input from uh, Cybernigma, and he was saying that normally what happens here is if an operating system that's still being used like this is in certain environments, what will happen is it'll either uh, go back to open source or it'll split off or it'll get renamed as something else and kind of rolled into something else. So in other words, it's probably not dead, but it's probably going somewhere else and it won't be the same product. Now, I personally, I mean, I've had to support this off and on over the years, but as as I can it it does things very differently than a lot of other operating systems do today. And I'm talking about your Windows, your non-Windows. I mean, Solaris is its own creature, for real. And and it takes a lot of different learning to, to make it do the things you want it to do. But well, when it doesn't... I think that's why it's getting killed off, is that, you know, even with, like, FreeBSD and Linux, there's a little bit of similarity... I mean, it's quite different, but you can make it work. You know, at least LS is LS and adding users is mostly the same. You know, you can stumble your way through it. Solaris, you're just like, um, help. I I downloaded the wrong version and I need to go in single user mode, but I can't because I don't have the stop key on my keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that wasn't a spark thing, I thought. That's a little different. Um, it is, but Solaris 11.2, I think it was. If you download the wrong ISO, their default one is the Spark one, I believe, yeah. not x86. So then you try to go set your password, and you can't. I'm not quite dead yet. I feel like taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do us a favor. Yeah, so the 
There is a larger risk, I guess, of this rumor coming to pass, but what form will it take? And what, well, what future is there for the Solaris operating system? Stay tuned. Or something. Or will just Oracle kill everything that has any glimmer of hope? Stay yes. tuned for the next Geraldo. Well, I'm just not sure, that because Oracle is not a tiny beast, so it's not going anywhere. It's just that... I think they have a really complicated way of handling things. Like if, if Apple was the spiritual uh, matchup for minimalism, I think that Oracle might be the logical opposite of that because nothing Oracle does in, in from what I've seen is ever small and streamlined. It's always, it's always seriously active. Uh, you've got a lot of learning to do. Speaking of learning, Will we never learn that it's actually uh, a bad idea to to not patch things? I mean, I don't know how you would have patched this because the register.co.uk tells us that passengers ride free on the San Francisco Municipal Subway after ransomware infected the network demanding $73,000 in uh in cash. So their basically entire office system was derailed by the malware. So uh, according to this updated version of the article, hard drive scrambling ransomware infected hundreds of computers at San Francisco's public transit agency on Friday and demanded 100 bitcoins, bitcoins in specific, uh, to unlock the data. The ticket machines had to get shut down. Passengers had to get to ride for free. Uh, on the very busy post Thanksgiving shopping day while IT workers scrambled to clean up this mess. And so it, it basically a version, a variant of a common malware, uh, basically infected over 2000 computers within the municipal transportation agency. <clears throat> so, uh, these systems appear to include, uh, admin desktops, workstations, email print servers. Everything was basically dragged into the muck. Interesting. I'm not sure whether I should be uh, excited, uh, dismayed. <coughs> Excuse me. Everything. Because or dying. What if no dying? So what is it that we can do to prevent this? So I mean, what would you do if you walked up to your? Okay, fine. Go to your nearest ATM and it says, "Oh, sorry, all data encrypted. Please contact such and such uh, to to get your stuff back." I mean, what would you do? Your ATM is down. Explain. I think that would just suck because if it comes to that point, then yes, it's like season two of Mr. Robot and anarchy is now the rule of the game. And honestly, like if it says, you know, contact whoever, are you really going to contact them? Or are you just going to be like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to go find another Especially when people get paranoid to think because you reported it, maybe you had something to do with it. Well, I mean, I, I'm yeah, okay. So there is a risk of people misinterpreting what goes on, and you have to be very careful. But there, there is something to be. Well, I mean, you, you got to do something. You can't just sit on your hands. Uh, I'm not. Not my problem. I'm not a bank. Well, no, that's but true. They have your money. But if they have your money and you're trying to obtain your stuff, I mean, what do you? Okay, I guess I'll try to find another way to get cash. I mean, that that's. I don't, we know I don't carry cash. Well, so all I'm suggesting is is that 
malware infections could uh, affecting things starting with a municipal agency uh is that something we should be concerned about and what what are mom and pops going to do about that like i've already heard of at least one or two situations where uh small businesses are impacted or people i know call me in a panic saying that oh my gosh all my crud is locked up i'm like so where are your backups What's i mean Right. And so we come back to the top four story things that we have to do. Number one, update your stuff. Number two, back up your stuff. Number three, uh, don't back click bad backup. stuff. And yeah, and back up your backup. And so these are the, the common themes we run into over and over again. Uh, so let's, let's move on from that because that sucked, but we can move on and, and instead talk about Google Wi-Fi going up for pre-orders. A happier thought here. Google Wi-Fi, according to ArsTechnica.com under their gadget section, basically describes that you can order their Wi-Fi, uh, device. The $129 mesh Wi-Fi router is for sale at their store on Amazon and at other outlets. So during their huge October 4th event, they announced a slew of new branded products, uh, that have been slowly trickling out to consumers. We've already seen the launch of the Google Pixel phone, Google Home, Daydream VR, and the Chromecast Ultra. But there's still something that hasn't landed, and that was Google Wi-Fi. So as a mesh router, I don't know that I believe that... I'm not going to spend $129 for each one. I mean, they're available as a three-pack for $300. At least that seems more like a good deal. I mean, I'd rather run lines throughout my house and just drop more access points in. I mean, uh, Pinky, aside from Cooper poking at you, I mean, really, how are you extending your range? Um, I live in a tiny apartment, and I don't need to extend my range. But no, well, my mom actually does have to occasionally, and she was lucky enough that she had an old time machine laying around, you know, one of the, like, original ones. Oh, wow. So... She's using that as her extension. But I mean, honestly, when I've looked into it before, I'd just rather get one of those on Amazon that's like less than $50 with a good review. I'm not going to spend this much just for that. I mean, $300 for that is a lot of money. And then, and, you know, traditional poke at Google of, can you imagine what malware is going to be on it? Right. Well, I mean, at least since it's an actual branded device, it'll get the updates very quickly. You ho- but then you have to hope that they apply it, or are they going to automatically apply it for you? In which case, you could then go fuck with the patches and break it. Well, one 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 problem at a time, I guess. <laughs> uh, so there are so many fun things that you can do with home automation coming finally into an affordable price range. I'm very curious to know where we're going to stand in a year from now when everybody just walks in, sneezes, and some device will say, what was that? I couldn't understand you. Uh, something is going to answer, and it might not be the cat. So what about these uh, video calls and Skype guest accounts? I was very curious, Pinky. What's going on with WhatsApp? So from our second unofficial sponsor of the week, Ars Technica, um, there's a article about WhatsApp unveils video calls while Skype pops open guest accounts. Hmm. In case you didn't realize, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook and announced that video calls will at last be rolling out, a move that came the same day Microsoft revealed that Skype can now be used online without registration. So WhatsApp video chats will be available on all mobile devices, iOS, Android, and Windows phone, while Microsoft said the Skype fans can now access a video conferencing guest account without registering via its web app. 
So it seems like an interesting, you know, let's see who can beat each other, you know. I honestly don't really know why they're kind of competing for each other. I think they're two different. Markets, I mean, I know Skype yeah. is more personal in a way, but ever since, you know, Microsoft obtained Skype, it's becoming more business oriented, I would argue, than maybe WhatsApp, which I think is a more casual right. outlet. One's attached to Facebook or social media and Skype, because Skype, like the, the non-commercial service, uh, really... I mean, it allows for all of us to chat if we wanted to. You can have multiple. How many is it? Like five or seven people now. Um, mm-hmm. Once upon a time, it was one to one, and there you know, there was a scramble for how are we all going to chat at the same time. Now it seems like that's not the challenge. The challenge is content. It's it's no longer that you know. So how many people used a hangout or whatever? But hangout has its own issues. We all have issues, and and you're going to pay. No. Uh, so. I like the idea that you can get that many people chatting, but I don't know. It just uh, seems kind of silly because it's, I don't know if it's just Ars Technica purposely trying to make it look like they're fighting against each other. And it's just coincidence that both are, you know, being launched or announced the same day. Because it's just really like, you know, Skype's been around for a long time now. People who want to use Skype are going to use Skype. WhatsApp is newer and it's just going to be, oh, is that a nice new feature? It's like, you know, Facebook got random, you know, video chats like, oh, cool, whatever. I hate calling features on Facebook because now I get random. Whoops, sorry, didn't mean to press that button. Well, right. And I mean, and especially with video chat, I still think it's funny how we all wanted video chat once upon a time. And now we're, we're all running and hiding and diving behind the couch because we've invited yeah. it into the home. But I mean, even I, I know that my parents will connect with other people using Skype. Uh, and I know people who use consoles to use Skype to share their, their lives with one another. So, I mean, that it obviously works, but that's the difference is there is market penetration for something like Skype on things that are not PCs. So what about WhatsApp? Only on mobile, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not going to be your desktop one. It's not going to tie into your webcam, as far as I know, at least. Mm-hmm. So, if it's again, become- it comes to this more, maybe it's even more of a generational issue. Maybe it's trying to target millennials, you know, who can't get off their phones like me. <laughs> well, what about you, Coop? Are you uh, for, against WhatsApp? Do you think you'd rather just keep using Zoom? What are your thoughts? I like Zoom, uh, even though I've had my issues with it. And WhatsApp, it's just really spammy. It's worse than, uh, what is it, Slack, in my opinion. (laughs) Slack Slack spams you? Yeah. Uh, If you've got all the notifications on, what have you, you've always got. Oh, that's what you mean by spammy. Notifications. Uh, I personally like IRC the best as far as, you know, staying in content in contact with people mobile and uh, i definitely plug in i love irc too i just wish there was a better mobile yeah irc mobile is not a pleasant thing at this point there have been a couple of clients that try but what it's it's still it's so easy and if you want if you're not wanting to put all the effort into you know putting up a bouncer and all that jazz just do something like irc cloud yeah. And then you'll have the Slack-like feel or WhatsApp-like feel, what have you. And you won't have – it works basically just the same. 
Well, so I know that in Slack, you can actually turn off the overarching notifications because at first I found Slack way too invasive where I kept getting notifications. It felt like every five seconds. So I went in and I looked at the notification setting and it can, you can do either when channel announcements come up and your name as a notification. So aside from that, it will not bother you for the conversation. And that's what I found is the right balance for me so that I'm able to actually, cause I have like, I participate in something like eight or nine different slacks uh, overall. So that's a lot. And, and so how can I possibly digest all that? The answer is I can't, but what I can do is if someone calls my name, so to speak, I can then be notified and I see that little bubble on the icon and that gives me a clue. And at least I found that to be pretty, pretty helpful. Uh, I want to jump into one other side story that I added and kind of tagged at the bottom. And it's uh, a tool that someone was sharing with me yesterday, which I thought was really cool. Uh, because so if you do any virtualization, sometimes you might consider things like, oh, I want to set up a system that is some automation or has some special tools in place. One of the neat things I thought of one rather that I thought about after hearing this tool existed is this is a tool called PA fish. Now PA fish is a demonstration tool that actually employs several techniques to detect sandboxes and analysis of environments in the, or sorry, and analysis environments in the same way that malware uh, detection families do. So it's basically paranoid fish is what PA fish stands for. And so it's an open source project. It allows you to uh, read the code of all the anti-analysis checks, and it basically helps you create uh, a way to track when something pokes at you. So it's kind of neat. It, it's basically uh, a tool to collect usual tricks seen in malware samples. And it's designed to help folks to study and test against analysis uh, choices for the environments to see how they're implemented. It's kind of a neat idea. And again, it's on GitHub, actually, github.com, and it's called PAFish, and it runs on Windows, actually. So I was surprised that there is a Windows tool that that's built this way, but it just was, uh, if for no other reason than to see that there are people who are writing really interesting tools to help with, again, I called it automation. That's probably not the right term, but, you know, kind of working with or uh, to with analysis engines to see what's going on in a system. Because I'm always fascinated by how we discover the forensic data or the details, all of the nitty gritty, because there are so many amazing people who do things uh, in this space, in security, in virtualization, in malware detection, and even those who write malware. You've got to be impressed by some of the authors that there are some crazy things that get done. Now, uh, it just surprises me how you learn about projects like this every day, and I think we don't bring enough attention to them because they're still kind of new. Anyway, as seasons change, so do other things too. Uh, and one of those things is this podcast. As priority in life pulls at some of us doing a multitude of things, we're going to be changing this up a little bit. So this will actually be the last week for Saha Says in the format you've been listening to. So thanks so much for joining us uh, through this year as we've been tearing through the feeds that Coop has so graciously dug up from the untended garden we sometimes call the Internet. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and to see what we've been up to. Thank you so much for allowing us into your ears and taking up some of your time, and we hope that you'll feel free to reach out with your questions or comments. Now, uh, you're welcome to find out more about the San Antonio Hacker Association by looking up at SATX Hackers on Twitter or over at www.satxhackers.org. And you can still look for this podcast 
which will be changing its format over at Security Endeavors. This will be a roundtable segment or actually part of an actual full episode as we go forward. Uh, we're going to take our time working it out, and it will probably be uh, near the end of January before you hear back from us. So if you're interested, our feed is linked over at www.securityendeavors.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, and we look forward to sharing more with you as we head into 2017. So, please enjoy this 8-bit soundtrack one more time. Good night.